Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. I'm stepping out of my comfort zones even doing this. And I want to just read to you a scripture. This is why. This is what Paul was writing to the church in Corinthians. And as I read it this morning, I felt, you can keep the lights up, Luke. I think we're going to need it on the stream. I felt uh, the same heartbeat that Paul had for the church. And he says this to the church in in Corinthians. Don't worry. You don't have to turn to it, but I'll tell you where I am. I'm in 2 Corinthians 11. You guys are in Genesis chapter 18, aren't you? We're getting there. This is what Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And I'll be honest with you, I've read that book of Corinthians every year for the last 15, 16 years, maybe longer, but I've never seen it like that. Paul is saying, I am jealous for you, not because I am building a ministry that has my name on it. I am jealous for you, not because you look good on a live stream and our YouTube channel has got so many views. I'm jealous for you, not just because God has got a promise for the region of Corinth where your church is. I'm jealous for you because he's asked me to present you as a bride to Jesus. And I'm just blown away by the, 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 um, the weight of that. Friends, we are a bride for Christ. And if we are not developing in our, um, our maturity as a bride, Sunday by Sunday, I'll be the first to put my hands up and say, Jesus, I need to do this better. I want to present you before Jesus as, what did he say? A pure virgin. Lord, would you increase purity in the church for no other reason than we're in love with you. There is such a flip that God is doing as we're focusing on his presence in these days. And it's, it's that everything that we, we're actually becoming better at serving God. We're actually becoming more motivated for holiness, but not because if we work harder, God will love us more. God couldn't love you any more than the day that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. The word says that we were sinners. We were alien. We were far away from God. But he sent his son and he couldn't love you more. There is nothing that you could do that could earn his love. But he loves us so much that we can't stay the way we are. And it's motivated by love to come and lay ourselves down to say, Lord, we are your bride. We are your church. We are your body. We are your people. And I'm just so captured by this at the moment. And Lord, church, you can keep me to this, okay? Lord, let me, never let me let go of this passion. If you guys sense, Ryan, you're getting cold, I give you permission. Tom's looking at me. He's like, I'm taking this seriously, Ryan. I do. I give you permission. Ryan, keep on fire. Keep pursuing. We are the bride. Isn't that good? So this is why we're doing it, and this is the point of the church, okay? We, we started uh, last week on hosting the presence of Jesus. This week, I want to speak specifically about one 
dynamic of that. And so let's read where we were last week. Genesis 18 from verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. I want you to say that with me. Rest under this tree. This is what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. I'm going to be speaking on making a resting place for the presence of God. Let's just finish this chapter, this text for today from verse 5. Let me get you something to eat so that you may be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And he said, quick, get three sears of finest flour. Knead it. Bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf. Gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and some milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. There it is again, under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah did, let's be honest, what we've all done in the past. We've laughed, we've smiled, we've thought, well, isn't that just a great prophetic word? Maybe somebody else in this meeting will capture a hold of it because I don't think it's for me. Amen? Have we all done that at some point? You don't have to go quiet on me unless you're being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. But um, when the Holy Spirit comes on people, he gets loud too, okay? So here we go. And she laughed and she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Well, I really have a child. And this is what he says to those of us who are, he's real to us in the midst of our honesty. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I will return to you at the appointed time. Say return, return. Uh, and Sarah will have a son. Let's jump down to verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham, walked along with them to see them on the way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? We, we talked about last week some steps, what it is to host the presence of Jesus. We, we discovered that God is at the door, but he is looking for people who would host him in the house. God is at the door of your life, but he's looking for a people. And I use that word people in both individual and corporate. And that's why this morning, I really believe even as we made time and space in the midst of our worship, I've got something to give, but let me tell you, unless we make time and space for Jesus, what I've got to give just fails in comparison. And we make time and space 
And that door that hinges as we stand on the edge begins to open. And we say, God, we're a people, a group, a church, a corporate group, people watching online. You're part of this as well. People who are part of the family who can't make it this morning. I know as well that we have missionaries from other countries watching us this morning. Rich and Liz, we bless you all the way from Dudley to where you are. As we do that, the door opens and we say, God, we're a people, individually and corporately, who say we don't just want you at the door. We want you in our lives. And it's God who comes to initiate the hosting. This is not about our hard work. This is not about religion. This is not about mythology, methodology. This is about us just saying, Lord, we receive your invitation. And, And what we discover is that this invitation is actually to build a dwelling place for God on earth. This was God's plan the whole way along. We talked about it from from Genesis in the book, in the beginning and the Garden of Eden. It was actually God creating a temple that he wanted to fill. But because of sin, because of idolatry, God had to start again and he chose a person called Noah who through favor built an ark. Then he chose a person called Abraham who through a uh, his, his faith, he begins to host God's presence and it becomes a nation called Israel. And from a nation of Israel, he, he, he brings them out of Egypt and they come and they build a tabernacle, a place where his presence would come. And then there's a king called David. And I love David's heart. And David's heart is this, God, I'm living in a temple. I'm living in a palace, in a stone palace. Well, your presence is dwelling in a tent. Let me build a home for you. That was David's heart. Let me build a home for you. And God allows his son Solomon to build a a temple. And it goes through all different forms and versions until eventually Jesus comes. God himself, but the son of man. You couldn't have more of an image of the father than the son of man. And he comes and he says, talking about the temple in John 2, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And no one understood that he was actually talking about his body. Just, t- just put your hand on your heart. This body, your body. He's, in, he's enabled us now to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And every one of you is a living stone. That as we gather together, we build up the house of God. We sung a song this morning. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Amen. These four walls aren't the house of God. This is the house of God. That person you met a bit earlier um, this morning when I asked you to shake their hands, put your hand on their shoulder again. They are the house of God. You guys together are the house of God. This is what God wanted all along, an eternal place covered in his blood. And so we found out how even in in, uh, Abraham hosting, it was God's initiative. It was God's idea. It was God who made a way through Passover. And we discovered that presence isn't just about this ethereal feeling. It's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And I I love that the context of this hosting isn't just in a church meeting. It's It's in our places of dwelling. It's in our homes. It's in the places where you came from today. Whether you, can, whether you live by yourself, whether you lodge with other people, whether you have a family, that place where you come from is where God has invited you to host His presence. And it's as we host His presence individually that when we come together corporately, we're built up in the house of God. 
and we continue. The hosting is action. Even though hosting can be inconvenient and can bring us through a narrow place. And I'm looking forward next week. Tom's going to bring us a word. Isn't that good? He did know about that before. He's laughing like he did, but he did. Tom's going to bring us a word, so pray for him this week as well. I believe that he is carrying something just for us as a church to continue advancing in the presence of Jesus. And hosting involves a generous heart. You see, Sarah packed her pantry in her tent with Tesco's finest. She brought out the finest flour. And it, hosting the presence of God involves us being generous. And so thank you for your offerings. And we, we, we bless what you're doing in this, Lord Jesus. Would you use these gifts for building a place here in Dudley for your presence? Um, and what I want to talk to you a little bit about, I want to just say that none of this is about an ABC step. I do believe that if we do these things, we will host God's presence. But God is not a genie in a lamp. That we can rub the lamp and think if I do all these things right, I get whatever I want. God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And it's helpful for us to know some of the steps of what he's invited us into. But none of this is a methodology. Because I want us to always be a people who follow and flow with the presence of God over structure. I heard, I heard an amazing story two weeks ago. Let me share it with you. It's amazing because it's so pertinent to understanding how God wants us to, to live in presence over structure. But it's also pretty comical. And when I heard it, I was a bit like Sarah in this story. I kind of laughed thinking, man, that sounds too good. That's surely made up. So what I did is I hit the internet. I hit up Google. And let me tell you, this is actually true. This really happened. What happens... When we build structure of a presence, we become just like a group of people who in the late 30s and 40s lived in an island in the South Pacific called the Melanesians. They were a group of island people. They didn't really get advanced in technology. They were left out from the, the Western civilization advanced, and they weren't aware of many things. But what happened during World War II? is that the United Forces, uh, the Americans, the English, some of the French, they used this island as a base to get into Japan, as a base for war. And what they did, they built runways. They built control towers. They set up generators with petrol to make electricity. And these Melanesian people who would, were just simple fishermen, and I'm not mocking their, their lifestyle. To be honest, sometimes I wish... I could just be a simple fisherman, sitting out on the sandy beach, letting the sun shine against my skin. Anyway, simple fishermen, and they witnessed runways being built, controls towers being built. They saw guys sitting with headphones on their ears and talking into microphones, and as if by magic, airplanes came out the sky and landed on the runway. And what did they bring out of them? They brought out of them food. They brought out of them drinks. They brought out of, out of the airplanes provision and resources. And they let some of the Melanesian people eat this food. And they thought it was the nectar of the gods. So what happened when the war was over? The United Forces, they left. They took the airplanes, they took their petrol, took, took their generators, and they left everything. And these Melanesians were left thinking, 
How do we get these resources? I know what we'll do. We'll build a runway. And on another island, just north of that island, they built a dirt runway. They did their best that they could to copy the one that they saw on their neighboring island. They even built control towers with thatches and with wood and with mud. Do you know what else they did? This is true. They made themselves headphones out of coconuts. And they would sit and they would try and talk to the airplane people to bring the goods because they wanted the blessing of the resources of what they saw. And they thought, if I could build a structure that looks like that structure, perhaps I could have the connection. Perhaps I can have the provision. Perhaps I can have the supply. But guess what? They waited year after year. Probably one of the saddest things I've ever read on Wikipedia. They waited for five years before they realized the airplanes weren't coming. And it's tragic, isn't it? But I believe that sometimes in our life, and I'm not speaking to this church, and I'm not speaking against other churches either, but let me talk about our life first and foremost. Sometimes we can set up what we think is a structure that looks right. If I can just do what Abraham did, Maybe I'll get what Abraham got. If I can just in my own strength try and mimic some of these things. If I can just, Ryan's asking us to worship longer. I'm going to worship longer. But if we don't have the connection, if we're not of the people of God's presence, if we don't have that connection with Jesus, we will be standing in empty towers with dirt runways, with coconut headphones, and never receive the blessing that God wants us to, to put upon us. So we never pursue structure. Let me make this clear. This is not about a, a new pattern of church. I love the foundation that we're building upon as we continue to pioneer in his presence. That this is a place where the apostolic is valued. This is a place where we know how to connect with Jesus Christ. This is a place where he has put his relationship in us. This is a place where we are the sons and the daughters of God Almighty. This is a place where we are presence-centered. I want you to hear that because it's not just some cool catchphrase. It really isn't. It's, it's a structure that we say, God, we are building this, but only so that you can fill it. Yes. Let me ask you about your house or the, the place that I'm talking about, your room, you know, wherever it is that you come from. It's great, right? But if you're not living in it, it has no point. At what point does, does my house turn from being a building to being a home? I believe it's when it functions as a dwelling, when we turn up with our keys and we open the door and we step in. That's what makes it a home. It's a home for us to dwell. And it's the same with our lives. The structure of our lives, the very fabric even of, and I believe this, of our physical being is to say, God, would you fill us? God, would you rest upon us? And so in all that we're doing, we want to, uh, build structure that is unto the purpose of the one who would fill it. That's what home is all about. That, what's, that is what the church is all about. And I really believe that this is the purpose of the church, that God would say, that people would come and they would say of the church, God is in this place. 
Let me just read a couple of scriptures. I don't think they're going to come up on the screen. I, I don't want them to. I just want you to hear this. This is the purpose of what we're doing. Genesis 28 says this, verse 17. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob's dream. He's running away. He sets up a place. And talk about structure. What was his structure? Well, it was a rock. A rock is a pillar. I've heard a great message. When your uh, pillow becomes your pillar, then you'll see the glory of God. The place where you rest your head. That's what we want to build, Lord. A place where you can come and rest your head. That was the whole purpose. And in Ezekiel chapter 48, it's a, a verse 35. It's a whole book prophesying about the new temple. And if you want to catch a bit more about this, watch last week's. I've given you just a quick run through of how God's heart was always to have his temple. But the book ends with this. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, as the secrets and talking about worship meetings, talking about gatherings of the church. And he says that as people come in and they hear you prophesying, they hear you worshiping, the secrets of the visitors, the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare. They will fall down and worship God, exclaiming this, God is really among you. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is our cry, that you would fill this place. You really would be among us. And the, the whole of the Bible ends. The book of Revelation, it ends in chapters 21 and 22. What does it end with? It ends with how it starts. It ends talking about a new temple coming down. It ends talking about the tree of life. It ends talking about the river of life. And I want you to know that the whole story has been about God preparing a place for him to come and rest. He is building us as a temple. And it says this in Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And will be their God. And so we, this is all that we've wanted, isn't it? For God to dwell upon us. And even as we begin to talk about how we do that, it's not a structure that we build that's empty. But it's from the connection that we have with the grace and the empowering Holy Spirit. And what I want us to do this morning is to look at this one sentence that Abraham, is written about Abraham. And it says this. In verse 4 of Genesis 18, let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. I believe that Abraham understood even his purpose as a man of hospitality, his purpose and a calling, and it echoes our purpose as the church, that we would be a place where God's presence comes and rests. And I want us just to understand a little bit about rest. You see, we, we misunderstand it and we think that rest is what happens on our days off. We think that rest is what's going to happen when we get home today. It's the weekend. Have you guys had a good week? I hope you have. And Sunday roast comes out. You might want to watch the rematch of the, the rugby last night. You probably don't if you're a British supporter. And you rest at the end of everything that you've done. And we think rest is, is when I can, something that I have to work hard to achieve. 
But I want you to see something about rest. We begin to see a pattern of rest that is modeled by God. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what it says about the Lord. After he had made all of creation, he rested. So God rested. What day did he rest on? Day 7. Okay. Do you think God was absolutely exhausted? And he thought, man, I just need a day off. He thought, man, I have spent six days creating things. I've spent six days calling things that are not as though they are. I've spent six days dividing and calling forth and inventing and creating. And man, man, day six, that was a killer. I made that, that shape out of dirt. And then I had to breathe into him. And now I just need to rest, guys. Let's just say, time out. I'm resting. Is that what God did? Is that our God? Is he like man that he gets tired? So why did he rest? This is important because it be, we begin to understand the importance of it. Abraham said, rest. Abraham was talking to Jesus at the offering. Again, last week, these three visitors, he says, come and rest. That for me, when I first read that, I thought that almost sounds sacrilegious. Hey, Jesus. Come have a rest. Who am I that I would invite God to rest? Because see, my idea of rest is wrong. Oh, you're weary. Oh, you're tired. Oh, you're exhausted. Come and be refreshed. I do believe refreshing happens in rest, but I want you to see the first step. And here it is. God didn't even have to have day seven of creation. Do you know that? God could have made from day one through day six, and that could have been it. We could have had a six-day week. You guys are like, heck, Ryan, don't take away a day of weekend, one day weekend. How would you handle that? So why did God have day seven? And here's the, the purpose. He had day seven because he wanted to dwell with man that he had created. Day seven wasn't God saying, I'm exhausted. I'm done now. Let's chill out. Day seven was God saying, I have created all of this for me to come and fill, for me to come and live in, for me to come and rest upon. And so man, hey Adam, where you at? Let's hang out. And the Bible says that he would walk with him in the cool of evening. Rest is when we get to commune with God our creator. But check this out. Day seven of God, uh, day six was completion. Day seven was rest. But what was day one of Adam? What was day one of mankind? Day seven. And it was rest. So God's last day was rest. And man's and ladies, you're included in this, okay? I believe that God created us in his image. And he made us male and female. But when I'm talking about mankind, I'm talking about all of us, all right? And God, what, did he, what was mankind's first day? It was a day of rest. It wasn't a day of hard labor. It was a day to work from rest. But then what did God tell mankind to do? What did he do? He said, rule over creation. And how do we see that begins to look? What does it look like? God tells Adam, hey, I'm a creator God. I spoke and it came into being. Now I want you to do the same because you are made in my image. You are made in my identity. There is creation. I want you to speak over it and to begin to call forth 
its identity. So what happens in rest? We begin to call forth the destiny of things around us. What happens in rest? We begin to give the uh, identity even to things around us. Do you remember the word Emma Stark gave to us? That we are God, God is calling us, and I believe he's calling the church to be a people that begins to give back the identity to a nation. How are we going to do that? Let me tell you, if we're trying to do it on our own strength, what, we, what we'll be doing is we'll be building empty control towers, waiting for why is the Holy Spirit not touched down here? But if we understand that we build with rest. You see, God didn't need to add day seven, but he made it just for us. And he was calling us, mankind, to live in his image, to call forth things. And I we're going to move into a time of ministry a bit later. I'm not done just yet, but I will be done soon. And here's what I really believe God is asking us to do. There's, there's two folds to this. He is making it so clear. He is teaching us. He is leading us. He is guiding us to be his resting place as a body. But there are things in your life that have been outside of the plan of God. There are things in the life of people gathered today and they've been in chaos. There are things outside of the life, in the life of people today that have gathered, that have been outside of the plan of God. And I see this so clearly that God is saying to you, he is giving you the permission and he is giving you a reminder to begin to speak into things that are not as though they are. He wants you to know that you can give back the destiny to things in your life. He wants you to know that you can give back the identity of things in your circumstances. But he doesn't want you to do that out of your own effort. He wants you to do that out of rest. Ah, I, I believe this so clearly that there's even places of disillusionment. And I used these three words last night. Disillusionment, disappointment, and distraction. I sense this, that there are even places in our, in our lives where you have been disappointed because some people here this morning have expected God to move in a certain way and you had faith. But sometimes our faith is good, but even in our faith, we try to put too much expectation of what we think it needs to look like. And when things haven't worked out the way we thought it was going to look like, we can step into disappointment. And I want you to know that from today, from a moment of rest, when we share communion, and that's so significant, God is inviting you. He is calling you to, from a place of rest, to speak to things that were disappointing and to reappoint them for the purposes of God. God is giving you an invitation today to speak to places and times when you might even have become disillusioned. Am I on the right path? Did I make the right step? Where are you, God? And he is saying, I am inviting you to speak into disillusion and to give vision back to again. I believe that there are also places of distraction where things have been raging in the world around us. And you have even felt that there's been an attack on rest in your life. Why do I have a confidence about that? I'll tell you why. Because that's, that's what I've been going through. God's been speaking to me about it. And sometimes I can be a little bit slow. You're allowed to laugh at me. <laughs> you guys are like, wow. Is he talking? Yeah. So I can be a little bit slow. Sometimes 
I can be a little bit more focused on the physical than I should be and not enough on the spiritual. But praise the Lord that he said that it's not good for man to be alone. And I got married. And Anna is, very, is way more, um, can we use the word intuitive? Isn't that a great word? Some of you ladies need to grab a hold of that word. That's a word for your vocabulary now. You're intuitive. I'm not touchy-feely. I'm intuitive. I know what's going on. And, and I've, we've just had, for the past month, I think, and I had a dream. I was going to talk to about Tom. He's disappeared. He's probably with his three amazing boys and his one young girl. But I had a dream on Friday. And I'll tell you the dream, and I'll explain to a bit about this, because I believe God is wanting to remove distractions and make you attractive again to his presence. The dream was this. I was in Paris, in France. The river, there was the beautiful river scene there. Uh, we were in an Airbnb, and I was looking out over the river in my dream, and all of a sudden, these huge Nile crocodiles started coming up the river, and I was like, where's my phone? No one will believe me, because those of you who don't know, crocodiles don't live in Europe, right? Okay. <laughs> they live in Africa, where I come from, uh, and... And the, they just kept coming, more of them, more of these crocodiles kept coming. I was trying to take a picture, and they ended up surrounding the house, and, and I woke up. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, what's going on in this dream? And so I took it to Anna as well. And let me, let me give you a quick interpretation. Paris, France, for me, is a place of rest. You've probably heard all our stories. If I go on a holiday, nine times out of ten, I'm in France. So it's a place of rest. And every time I dream of crocodiles... They are spiritual attack. Leviathan. They might mean something different to you, but for me, that's what they mean. Um, and that's what uh, charity taught us about how to interpret dreams. So what God was showing me was that there was a spiritual attack on my rest. And it was like a light bulb moment. What did we say last week? Ping! A light bulb moment. And I... I went and told Anna the dream, and she was probably inside saying, thank you, Jesus. I've been trying to tell Ryan for a month that there's an attack on our rest. And I'm just like so, I'm not hard-headed, but I'm so hard-headed. I'm like, so I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. Ain't nothing going to stop me. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. What had happened is I have a car. You probably heard a bit of the story. We've had four punctures in four weeks, always on a Friday. And then when I finally had all four tires done and I, I'm like anointed the car, I plead the blood of Jesus over it. Um, those of you who want to talk to me about the theology of that, I think it's probably a bit dubious too. But let me tell you, faith was in motion. When I'd done that to all the tires, guess what happened then? The alarm broke. Friday. And Friday is like my rest day. I work from home. I normally read. I normally study. And I'm there in, in our front room studying. And... From a distance, I can hear this siren start going. And you know what you probably think, like, oh, man, who is this dude? <laughs> what the heck? Doesn't he know how to, like, just switch the car off, push the button, turn the alarm off, and then get on with it? And it gets louder and it gets louder. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how embarrassing. What on earth is going on? Then I'm thinking, maybe it's stolen. Maybe someone's stolen the car. And they are doing their best to get away from the place before anyone can hear it. It gets louder and louder. Then lo and behold, it pulls up on my driveway. 
and it's Anna driving our car. And the alarm has been going non-stop since Aldi. And she can't get the alarm to go off. So I'm trying to study and I'm, I'm like, what on earth is this noise? And it's Anna. And then we like, for the next half an hour, in and out the car. Why can't I get the alarm to stop? Well, because I made terrible judgments about whoever it was driving down the road for the first place. I'm disconnecting the battery. I'm like, I'm meant to be rested. What was worse, it was the same Friday. I was meant to take the two kids to the airport for India. So I finally get the alarm to stop. I think, okay, great. And it's our, it's our bigger car, so it's a bit more comfortable to drive. So I think kids get in, I load their bags in the back, and I take off as if to go to the airport. And what happens? I'm like, I can do this, I can do this, I can get through this. You know, there's that hard-headed thing. I get to the first island, and, and I'm like, this is too loud. Turn around, come back. I decant everyone into a small little runaround. Any of you guys have little runaround cars? I love my little runaround car. Oh my goodness, I can throw that thing into gear, speed around the corners at the right speed limit. I can fit in any car park. Like, I can just, you know... Parallel park, that's what it's called. And if anyone opens their door and bashes my car, I don't care. Because it's just a little runaround. So I got on the little runaround and I drove all the way down on the motorway and, and we got back. We're like, God, why is there no rest? What is going on? And Anna's like, it's a spiritual attack. I'm like, mm, mm. Anyway, three weeks later, I get the dream after Friday's being stolen, being stolen. And here's what was going on with the car. The alarm had been reversed. So when it was locked, it thought it was unlocked. And when it was unlocked, it thought it was locked. So every time I was trying to drive it, it thought it was locked, even though it was being driven. So the sensors were going off. Every time we tried to open the door, it thought it was locked when it was really unlocked. And so it was just so confused. And it caused a massive distraction. And here's what I want to prophesy to you. And I want you guys to take a hold of If you are going through moments of distraction... God is saying that he is going to turn a distraction into attraction instead. And there are even things that need to flip. There's a polarity flip. There's a full change. That's what repentance is. You were going in one direction and now you're going in another direction. And he is speaking to you that even he is turning the tables on things that you thought that was stressful, you're going to begin to see it flipped. On things that you thought that was a battle, you're going to see it flipped. What does that mean? That means victory. He is bringing you into a time of victory. And here's the thing. He says, when you understand that just like Adam from a place of rest stepped into his mandate from heaven to begin to call creation into identity and to begin to give a destiny, that was all lost at the fall. But he's saying when you come back to God's presence resting on you and you rest in his presence, he is giving you back the mandate to begin to call for things that are not as though they are. And we're going to do that this morning. So the function of rest, let me get through this. The function of rest is the place from which we rule and reign. I'm going to say that again. Let's try you guys. James, you've always been good. The function of rest is the place from which we rule and reign. Come on. Is there an amen in the house for that? I want want to see. Okay. Go on then. Is there an amen? I want to see that polarity flip come back. 
Just like the car. You see, we're thinking, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. I'm exhausted. I've got to come to a point of rest. And God is saying, no, come right now to me. Come build your house in my presence. Come host my presence and my rest will fall upon you. And from that place, you will be refreshed, but not just refreshed for the sake of exhaustion. Refreshed because he is calling you to rule and to reign. Amen. Amen. Resting is co-laboring with God. No more striving or self-effort. Resting is the place of authority to take action. Resting is to give identity. And resting is to be with God. Why does all of creation wait and groan eagerly? Think about that one. That was like a cheerleading sound. I was woo! All of creation waits and groans eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because creation itself wants its identity back. Creation itself wants its destiny back. And God has put that ability upon you in order to call it out. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will... Rest. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. I want you to see that. It goes on in verse 9. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In verse 10 it says this, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all people. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. I know I've motor mouthed through that, but here's what I'm trying to get across. All throughout the Bible you will see this pattern, this structure. God wants to rest upon you. And then from the place of rest, God begins to make justice judgment and decrees with righteousness you see so often we want the justice the judgment and the decrees but we don't have the rest let us come into a place of resting you see resting in the spirit was ruled with the rule was linked with the rule and reign of kingdom judgments justices and decrees and we even see this in abraham's life he rested He created a place for God to rest. And what happened afterwards in Genesis 18? I know you can stick with me. What happened afterwards? His wife became pregnant. So often we're trying to bring about the promises of God in our own strength. But if we just realized, I'm called to be a presence carrier. I'm called to have the presence of God rest upon me. And from that place, become pregnant with the promises of God. What happened after that? God is going to go and judge Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to go to bring about change in a city. And he says, let's include Abraham on this. And Abraham has a chance to intercede with God. Abraham has a chance to continue to call forth even the identity of who God is as a merciful and gracious judge of all the earth. Can you see how it works? There is a a destiny that we're going to give even to cities. But until we know what it is to rest in God and have God rest upon us, that will never happen. It's in our resting that we actually become a blessing to all the earth. I I got you to say out that word return as you read it. Do you remember? I'm not just using 
preaching license to get you to say something to me. I'm marking a point, and here's what happens. God will return to the places where he has rested. Oh, for those of you who are dry and thirsty, God will return to the places where he has rested. This is our God. This is what he does. The world doesn't just need a pretty church. It needs a church with Emmanuel in it. God with us. As I said, even in the worship, my family doesn't just need me to be a strong father, even one who knows how to change a puncture on a car or fit and fix an alarm. They need me to carry the presence of Jesus. The world needs you to carry the presence of Jesus. So I'm going to land this here with Jesus because here's what it says. Abraham rested where? Under the tree. The first place that we come and we find our rest is underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. The tree of Jesus Christ. The the very reason that I can cease my striving. The very reason that I can be forgiven. The very reason that I can be renewed. But I want to link these two scriptures. You see, it says that Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, this is what Jesus says. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Very interesting. Here he comes. He has nowhere to rest his head. I want you to see this. When creation was finished, God, Yahweh, rested and dwelt with man. And here's what happened with Jesus. It says in John 19 verse 30, when he had received this drink on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, He rested his head and he gave up his spirit. There came a point where Jesus couldn't rest his head on earth because he was looking for a body. But on the day that he died and he said, it is finished on the cross, just like his father had said, it is finished thousands of years ago when he made earth and he rested with his creation, Jesus Christ on the cross said it is finished and at last there was a place for him to rest his head. Now what does the Bible tell us about the body of Jesus Christ? Who is the head? Where the body? He is the head. And because of the cross of Jesus, he has come and he has rested as the head upon us, the church. A body he has prepared for him. Even where I started in Corinthians this morning, Paul says about that church, I am jealous for you because I want to present you as a bride, pure and spotless before God. We are now the body of Christ and he is the head that comes and rests upon us because of the tree, because of the blood that was spilt, because of what he has done. So often, you know what? I've been guilty of this. So often we've been guilty of this. We want to be the head and not just the body. We want to be the one that makes the decisions, don't we? Or is it just me? You guys have gone really quiet on me. How many, of, how many else here likes to be in control? I like to know what's going on. I like to be the one who's calling the shots in my own life. I think that I am. But God is the head. Jesus Christ is the head. You are the head of this church, God. It's your body. It's your decision. It's your leadership. And Abraham understood this. He found the place of rest. I'm 
Maybe we'll do something in the week to understand the things that stand in the way of rest, but it's things like sin. How do we overcome sin? Cross to Jesus Christ. It's things like idolatry. And we don't understand idolatry enough in the Western church. Do you know why? Because we think idolatry is just when we build up an idol. And we can go to nations like India. And let me tell you, there are huge idols in those nations. There's a place called Namchi. God turned them up at night and in the morning to open my curtains in the hotel. And there on the horizon, probably about two kilometers away, was a, an idol of a, a, um, a Buddhist god. But it must have been about 600 meters tall. Because I opened my curtains and all I could see was this idol filling the window. But it was two kilometers away. And we can say, oh yeah, that's idolatry. We don't have idolatry in the Western church. Let me tell you, we do. And idolatry will stop the presence of God resting in our lives. Why? Because in idolatry, we make gods in our image. Instead of being made in the image of God. That's all I need to say about that now. We, we don't have time. And it's the importance of the place of worship. Abraham, in that one sentence, he bows down. And he says, find rest under the tree. Worship is the most, one of the most important ways that we can host and be a resting place for the presence of God. It's in worship that we say, you are the head. Come and fill your body. It's in worship that we create a place for him. And the, the fourth one is that we can have incorrect theologies. We, tr- we, we live a life of striving. We, we um, don't realize that we can trust in God. But we're called to rest in the shade of the tree. And there's these three things that I really believe. It's a following on from last night because that's how God works. He doesn't just say something and not complete it. He wants to complete it. That there are places in our lives of disillusionment that God wants to bring vision to. There are places in our lives of disappointment that God wants to reappoint. And there are places in our lives when we are being distracted, maybe distracted from rest, maybe being distracted from the truth of what He wants to do. He is going to begin to make you so attractional to His presence. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.